Welcome to Inspirational Australians, where we share stories of Australians making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. We at Inspirational Australians acknowledge the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waterways on which this podcast is produced. We pay our respect to elders past and present and those who are emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. At Inspirational Australians, we are inspired by the world's oldest living culture and pay homage to their rich storytelling history when we share stories on our podcast. Hello and welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast. This is season two and I'm delighted to be joined by a winner. Recently, I've been interviewing winners from our 2023 Seven News Young Achiever Awards program, but this young person, Connor, is actually a winner from 2022. And it's for me, it's fantastic because we were lining something up last year and for various reasons, I probably had to cancel on Paul Connor. We didn't get it done. And so thanks to Spirit Super who are sponsoring today's episode, I'm able to make it happen and speak to Connor, uh, you know, some 18 months down the track. And uh, I'm actually really excited about that because it means there's been uh, quite a good period since then to find out what Connor's been up to and to touch base with Connor. Uh, for example, one thing is that uh, last year when we spoke, Connor was based in Mildura and that's not the case anymore. So to tell you a bit about my guest uh, for this weekly dose of inspiration, we'll be chatting with Connor, who is a young person shaking up the family violence system, determined to use his lived experience as a male survivor of domestic violence to drive change that matters in Victoria. Being the youngest member to be appointed to the Victorian Victim Survivors Advisory Council, Connor is using his experiences to influence change in the way children and young people are seen as victim survivors in their own right. Connor is preparing to publish his debut children's book, The Shadow That Follows, to support primary prevention initiatives and continue to advocate for a standalone family violence service for children and young people. Every day, Connor strives to show that lived experience can be a catalyst for meaningful systemic change. So, welcome today to the Inspirational Australians podcast, Connor Paul. Thanks so much, Josh. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome to have you and glad we could make it happen, as I said, a little while down the track. No, I know it's it's good to be finally to finally be on and um to chat with you today, Josh. It's good. So as I mentioned at the start, there you know, last time we spoke a while back, you were in Miljura, and mm-hmm. uh, now Melbourne inner city. Yeah, um, sure am. Person and uh, yeah, tell us a bit about you know the move and how you found it. Yeah, um, you know, inner city in Melbourne's pretty similar to Miljura, yeah. Uh no, not at all. <laughs> a bit bit different, Josh. Um. It's been a crazy move. I, I yeah. Last year when I when I came to Melbourne, obviously from Mildura to accept the award, um, I could never have imagined that I'd be living here this time this year. And I think moving here, so I moved for uni predominantly, and it's just been an amazing change. I think it's been really, really refreshing to be here, and the opportunities that I've had since receiving the award. Um, in Melbourne has just, they've just been amazing. So I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, that's awesome. So to recap, you did win the Spirit Super Connecting Communities Award for our Victorian Young Achiever Awards program. Um, so congrats to that. Yeah, and that's awesome. I didn't realise that it wasn't, a you know, a plan that you'd had 
Yeah, um, not at all. It wasn't. So things just fell into place really nicely. I, I think receiving the award has has definitely given me a platform and and some credibility. I think, particularly in the family violence space, it's such an adult dominated sector and space, like a lot of other um, spaces in the professional world. And I think, unfortunately, children and young people need some credibility sometimes to to be in the space and to be taken seriously. And yeah. I think the award has definitely provided me with some credibility behind the cause that I'm fighting for. Well, someone I spoke to recently, uh, Nika Zand, had a similar thread in saying that she's quite young and she looks, you know, quite youthful as mm -hmm. well, which, you know, is a massive challenge to be taken seriously. And when you're getting on boards and advisory panels and these things, that can be a challenge. So it sounds like, you know, that you've been now appointed to this advisory council. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us how that came about um, and what's your experience been, you know, being part of that? Yeah, it's been surreal, Josh. I think, you know, when I was 16, I was writing letters to ministers about my experience with the service system and the lack of support that I received as a young boy um, experiencing family violence in my home. And I didn't really receive much response from, from ministers yeah. and from, from the government and from organisations. And it's crazy now. Um, you know, three, four years on, I'm 20 and I'm meeting with, I'm not meeting with advisors anymore. I'm meeting with ministers um, talking about and sort of telling them what my experience was and what children and young people are experiencing now and and informing them about what needs to change. And I think it's my advocacy in 18 months, Josh, has just changed so much, which is so exciting. And it continues to change every day. Have you mentioned to any of those ministers, uh, hey, you know I wrote a letter? <laughs> a couple, yeah, to a couple of them I have. Um, how, does it, how does it go down? Not too well. I think they get a bit <laughs> awkward. And for, for some of them, they weren't in office when I wrote those letters, so they can't yep. really take accountability. But I think it it adds to my case that children and young people aren't taken seriously in this space and yep. still really aren't. And, you know, you shouldn't have to get an award to be taken seriously. Um, that that shouldn't, that it shouldn't have to come down to that. But unfortunately, it sometimes does. Um, but being on the council and, and being with a group of other advocates who all have different experiences is just, it's so refreshing because although our experiences are so different, there's that, there's the same, I think, hope and and um, courage through vulnerability that, that shines through on the council, which is just beautiful to be part of. Yeah, that is good. And good on you for standing up and actually saying something um, to people face-to-face -face because <laughs> I know on a personal level I struggle with that. <laughs> mm -hmm. And afterwards sometimes I walk away from a conversation like I really should have taken that chance to, you know, it's not a, um, it's not a bad thing to criticise if it's coming from a good place and it's wanting to make a real change. And so... Uh, that's one thing that I think is really impressive, Connor, that you that you took the chance to do that. Thanks so much. And I think it's worth pointing out, though, Josh, I still walk away thinking, oh, I should have said this or I should have framed that in a different way. And I think that is something that will always happen with my advocacy. Yeah. Like it's it, it's forever changing and evolving, which is scary, but like it's a beautiful thing as well, I think. So, you know, when I read something like, 
you're part of this, um, you know, the Victim Survivors Advisory Council and you're advocating for a standalone service mm. for children and young people. Is that something that's like a huge mountain or is that something that, oh, yeah, we can do that? Like how do, I, not being part of it, I don't really understand. Yeah. I think maybe I could maybe set the scene about what the service system yeah. currently looks like. So, Good idea. Uh, if... When I was 16, I reached out to the uh, leading statewide um, organisation that provides services to all all victim survivors, but the current system has been designed by and for adult victim survivors without really having children and young people in mind. So, my mum, when she reached out for for support, wasn't, wasn't ready. She decided she wasn't ready. But currently, children and young people can't reach out by themselves. They need their adult parent victim survivor to be there and be receiving support as well. So, that's what the gap is. So, my response when I reached out for help was, oh, are you a perpetrator of of violence? And when I said, oh, no, they said, oh, we sorry, we don't provide services or supports to children and young people who are under 18 and don't have an adult victim survivor parent engaged. And that's still the case today. Um, And I think that is something, obviously, that needs to change. And when we're talking about initiatives within schools, like respect for relationships, we're showing children and young people and teaching them that violence isn't acceptable. But then if they disclose that they're experiencing violence, they don't really have anywhere to go. Mm. Um, So, that's what I'm calling for. I'm calling for a national standalone service that provide supports to children and young people as victims in their own right. Yeah. Well, the obvious one straight away is if the um, the child or the young person is, is experiencing the violence from their parents, you know, how the heck are they meant to bring an adult into it? So, yeah. Particularly if they're, if they're experiencing violence from both parents, Josh, how, how can they reach out for support? And there are services that do provide supports to children and young people in their own right, but they're few and far bet- between, and they're not necessarily specialist family violence services. And and that lens when um, engaging with children and young people who are experiencing family violence is so important. You need that lens to help them heal and recover from violence um, and the impacts of it, because I'm still healing and recovering from the impacts of my um, my experiences, both at the hands of the perpetrator and the system as well. And it's so important that we're given the opportunity to do that healing and recovery in the best way, recovery in the best way that we can. Yeah, for sure. And it's obviously an ongoing um, journey and process. Journey, that, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, you can straight away, you know, you've explained that so well um, as to why that's required. And obviously that's a big change to, to bring that in, but something that's so worth doing. Yeah. Particularly in, again, in a space that is so adult dominated and rightly so because most victim survivors we know are adult women, but one in four, a statistic came out the other day from the Australian Child Maltreatment Study and it it paints a picture that one in four children in Australia have experienced family violence. And where are those children and young people going to get support? Mm. Are they going anywhere like where where can they go that that to a service that delivers information that's accessible to them and that they can connect with because i think another thing that i that i 
saying that I call for is making information accessible to children and young people doesn't just benefit us. It benefits everyone because the system is complex for even adult victim survivors. So I think accessible information is definitely a big piece of that puzzle. I'm realising I skipped forward a little bit on uh, some questions I wanted to ask. I'm going to go back a little, um, Connor, if that's okay. You know, firstly, how did you become appointed to the um, Survivors Advisory Council in the first place? Mm. So so they advertise positions every two years. So it's a two-year appointment and I saw it come up and I was – I was working with a support worker at the time and he really encouraged me to apply. So I applied. So it was after I received the award um, in 2022 in about July or September, I think. And I applied not thinking that I would get in. Like I thought it was, yeah, bat's chance in hell that I'd actually (laughs) get in. And I got in and it was ridiculous. So I sat, I had an interview with, three of the people at Family Safety Victoria who sort of um, run the council. So, they're attached to the Department of Family Fairness and Housing. And there was the chair was on the interview panel and, yeah, I had the interview. And then I found out when I was holidaying in Sydney that I got appointed and I was just stoked. I was so happy um, and honoured that that finally a young boy's perspective could could be listened to because I think that's definitely something that's missing in this space um, and it's such an important experience to consider. Yep. Well, that's true because you can't just have everyone of the same you know, background, mm. age, with all the same viewpoints. You need to have that diverse view. Definitely. Things. Yep, definitely. I think VSAC's really good at that, the diversity on the council is definitely something that I'm proud of because the council needs to be representative of the diversity of lived experience. Um, Otherwise, it wouldn't be doing its job. Yeah. So, is it safe to say that you'd be amongst the youngest members of the council? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was 19 when I was appointed, just, just 19. And I think the second youngest is about 24, 25. So, a bit of a bit of a gap but um i hope that there's a there's a a recruitment process currently happening so i have i have one more year so i hope that another young person gets to be appointed because definitely the next stages of the reforms have a have a clear focus on children and young people which hasn't happened before which is so exciting well uh before i ask you you know what's next after this uh two-year period is up. I want to ask you about how you got into advocacy in the first place because, you know, to me that seems like a really big step to put yourself Mm. out there to, you know, obviously you've been dealing with um, significant experiences and and situations and now you're, I guess, sharing part of that to obviously to make a big change and a a positive impact. But how did it come about, your journey uh, in advocacy? Yeah, Oh, I think I touched on it briefly before, but I think I might start at the end and something that I've discovered on the, I hate the word journey, but it has been a journey of becoming the advocate that I am today. I think obviously victim survivors of family violence don't have a voice for so long and, and that period of time looks different for each person. 
but I think victim survivors of family violence in particular make such good advocates because once we find our voices, we cut through the bullshit and and the bureaucracy that's that is the service system and we we bring truth and and courage to the table, which sometimes unfortunately is lacking. Um, particularly when you're sitting at a table of old white, generally men, in a government building with white walls, and and you bring this lived experience that you have to share, and you can just see the look on their faces. It, it's it cuts through, but I think moving back, Josh, I obviously started writing letters to ministers, didn't really hear anything, and then. I did an internship. I did my like year ten work experience with my local member Ali Kappa okay. in Mildura, and she I took just, me to Parliament. Not sure many uh, year ten students are doing <laughs> that kind of work experience, are they? <laughs> I'm not sure, but That's it was cool. a great experience and she, it, like testament to Ali because she, yeah, she really believed in me, which was amazing. But at that point, I. I wouldn't say I was like I'd written letters, but I wasn't out saying, you know, I was in year ten. I, w- I was I wasn't out saying, "Oh, this happened to me." Yet that wasn't me, but uh, she knew, and she took me to Parliament, and I met some of her colleagues, some other MPs, and then I think she really she role modelled to me what advocacy was and what it looked like. So after that, I really knuckled down and started calling the offices of the ministers that I wrote to and saying, hey, it's been 10 months, where's where's this response? And then I met with another, my other MP in the upper house of the Victorian pa- Parliament and she asked a constituency question to the Attorney General about a legal matter that um, was heard in the magistrate's court involving an intervention order and the magistrate had made this terrible, terrible ruling that I would be removed from the order when I turned 18 without my knowledge. Um, And that's not a part of what the law says. It doesn't say that you have to do that. So, he used his Mm -hmm. discretionary powers to make that decision. And she asked the Attorney General to to, um, reply and say why that occurred and why this occurs because it's happened to other young victim survivors as well. And then I got a letter from the CEO of the Magistrates Court of Victoria and he he apologised and committed wow. to mandatory training for all judicial officers in Victoria to make sure that they understand that that shouldn't happen because we know that the justice system and the legal system is so re-traumatising for victim survivors yeah. and very rarely provides justice um, or decisions around fair fair treatment for victim survivors. So, I think that... That letter highlighted to me that the work that I was doing was working because this it's so often I, it still happens now. I come home to my partner and I used to go home to my mum when I was living in Mildura and I would be like, why am I doing this work? Like, why? Like, nothing's happening. No one's listening. They just, they just want me to go to a meeting, talk about what happened to me. Then I go home and it's just all tokenistic. But th- when things like that happen and they don't happen often it reminds me that the work is worthwhile because children and young people deserve more than that. They don't deserve to be going to court every month to get an intervention order extension. That's not 
viable. They they should be doing things that children and young people do, not going to court. Um, and that's my why. I think that's yeah. why I do the advocacy that I do. Yeah, that's. It must be frustrating to put in all this effort to not get anywhere, but then on the flip side, the incredible impact that when you do, you know, that uh, analogy of the the hits of the nut and it takes, you know, thousands of, but that one that makes the crack. Yeah. Everything you've done, all the frustration has led to that moment and that huge impact because that's huge what you were talking about with the magistrate's court and committing to training and that's such a big change. That's nothing tokenistic. That's not an apology. That's, hey, we messed up and we're actually changing you. Yeah, it is it, it it is pretty big and I sometimes forget how big it is. But I think it's also the ripple, like each conversation, like this conversation is creating ripples that will hopefully lead to someone else talking about their experiences or or standing up and saying, you know what, I'm actually going through something similar and it's not okay and I deserve the I have the right to feel safe and free. It's those yeah, those pebbles in the water that that create those ripples that really matter as well. Yeah, so true. Well, something that could create a lot of ripples is the children's book you're working on. Yeah, uh, and, and I know that only too well with uh, young children myself, just starting school and about to start school. That the books we read to them as parents and you know and um, carers and things like that have such an impact on them. Um, so tell me about the shadow that follows. Yeah, I think i'm not a i'm not an artistic or creative person at heart so this has been a big challenge but probably one of the best things that i've ever done and i couldn't have done it without the support of my partner jack um and my beautiful family back home in mildura but so yeah it's called the shadow that follows and it's about me so it's about the impacts of family violence on children and how those impacts follow us everywhere they follow us when we go to school they follow us when we go to dance class or or to um you know the soccer club and and play soccer on the weekend they follow us everywhere and the hard thing about the impacts and the shadow the hard thing about the shadow is it's not always visible you can't see the shadow but i i can see the shadow but other people can't and i think something that i'm really passionate about is primary prevention and the intersection that has with early intervention and programs like Respect for Relationships. I see this book supporting programs like that in schools and getting kids ready, getting your kids ready to go to school as well, Josh, them having that knowledge that with the support um, and love and care from people around, people, that, that has an impact and that can help stop the shadow from becoming this big thing that has such an impact on a child's life. Um, so I see the book working in partnership, hopefully with initiatives like Respect for Relationships in schools. So for anyone who's um, listening along and, and kind of, you know, not familiar with terms like primary prevention and, and things mm. like that, can you give us just a little bit of a, you know, layman's... Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. So primary prevention in Victoria and nationally now, the government all governments have committed to ending violence in one generation. And part of that is a program, are programs under the primary prevention banner, which aim to prevent violence from occurring at a young age and at, at school age children. So from prep to year 12. 
So in Victoria, there's respect for relationships and that program is embedded in our curriculum and aims um, its aim is to support children to understand what a healthy relationship looks like, which is so important because if that's not being modelled at home, mm. how are children and young people understanding that, number one, what they're experiencing is unsafe, and number two, that if they experience that in a relationship later on in life or are currently experiencing it, that it's actually illegal and they, yeah. they can get help. So, it's, I, I would say it's one of the most important elements of um of the family violence system is to actually stop family violence from um from starting yeah that's really that's really powerful so with the book you mentioned that you had a lot of support from your partner jack and your family mm. um, you know you're not artistic <laughs> you know tell me about the process of you yeah. are you the author is there another illustrator Who's yeah the yeah so i'm i'm the author so i wrote the book in a day <laughs> Um, in a day. I was just like, I'm going to write it. So it's 32 pages, so standard children's book size. And I'm working with, or I've worked with an illustrator named Emma Pleasance. And she's just understood this. She understood the story from the start and we've really connected. So we've been working on this for 18 months and it's um, currently available for pre-sale. So it, the oh, launch is happening, yeah, on the 29th. Of, of October so soon and the process has been excruciatingly long <laughs> it's how's that you wrote it in a day and 18 months later and it's still, still going long. yeah um the writing part was easy I think Josh yeah the rest of it's been so difficult to come up I knew that I wanted the shadow I, I knew I wanted the book to be done in watercolor because I wanted the shadow to bleed through the paper I wanted it to be this shapeless figure that yeah that didn't really it, it doesn't have a gender it doesn't have um like a figure it's just this yeah this shapeless shadow that's really powerful um well it it bring it makes me really emotional when i see mm. it because it represents the feeling it doesn't represent the perpetrator it represents the feeling of that experience which i think is really important because it is the feeling um that affected me the most just yeah getting the concepts from the from the illustrator and working on them and then figuring out how to pull it all together not on canva but professional like how do you pull a book together professionally and having professional scans done like i thought you just photocopy the illustrations no you have to go and spend buckets of money getting them <laughs> the pictures scanned and then the word placements and and all of that so i've been really lucky with the group of people around me well, you know i've I obviously have an illustrator i have a graphic designer and someone helping me pull the book together um but i'm so excited for for kids to have it in their hands and maybe they're not able to articulate their feelings before they have the book but when they have the book they can say hey this is like i'm feeling this this is how i'm feeling um and having it used as a therapeutic resource in services would just be amazing mm, that is really cool and sounds like a very intense um project but to be honest for someone who says that uh, they're not artistic you've described it so uh, evocatively and, and oh, it's very you. emotive and you know in to be honest a little bit haunting um uh, but in yeah. a good way in a way yeah. that is going to be powerful as you and said. i think it's been hard to strike that balance, Josh, of 
something as scary and as um, haunting as family violence. Like, family violence isn't just physical abuse. It's it's emotional abuse. It's fun. It's all of these different things and pulling that together and representing that in something that a six or seven-year-old can understand has been difficult. It's been really challenging. Um, but I think, I think we've, and I hope that we've pulled it, pulled it off and pulled it together really nicely. So where can people get this book or, you know, you said there's a pre-sale to sign up. Yeah. So, um, it's available on Amazon and on Booktopia, but it's also on my website. So I think going to my website, connorpaul.com would be the easiest way to have a look and have a read of what the book's about and look at the front cover and see if it's something that, yeah, you'll connect with. Yeah, connorpaul.com, definitely. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Booktopia is a great website. So, yeah, um, yeah that's awesome. And I uh, can't wait to check it out myself and have a look at it and yep. uh, read it to, to my kids as well. So. Definitely. Thanks so much, Josh. So now I did tease it earlier. Uh, I wanted to know about what happens next after, you know, your role on the advisory council. You've got one year left. Yeah. Um, what are some of your, you know, future ambitions and uh, and what do you see, you know, as a, I guess, following years to come for Connor Paul? Mm, I think something we've talked a lot about, I think, today about the journey of of my advocacy and, and me as a person. And I think something that I've really honed in on, it, particularly in the past six months, is the fact that I'm so much more than a victim survivor of family violence and I have a lot more to offer than just that experience. I'm yeah. Connor Paul before I'm a survivor of family violence and I think that's something that's really important when I'm when I'm doing this work and when advocates do the work that they do, it's so easy to make that your whole identity. Um, but it's so important that people remember that advocates and lived experience advisors are so much more than just that experience that they're sharing in that moment. They're a, they're a whole person. Um, so I'm currently studying social work at RMIT and am working part-time at the Centre for Excellence in Child and Family Welfare in Policy. So really, really enjoy policy work. So I think the dream for me would be to be in government working as an advisor or something like that. I think that's what my future looks like. Yeah. Well, you're so right about labelling and how, mm. you know, we obviously, we as people, we, we like to label things, don't we? But it's not always a positive thing. Yeah. And I think it's it gets convenient to label, oh, Connor Paul, he's, yep, he's the victim survivor of family violence. But don't think I have one label. I think I'm multiple things. Definitely. Well, yep. one label that I have for you is a uh, inspirational Australian because <laughs> I've definitely gotten so much out of this chat and I know that our listeners will as well. Before I let you go, though, I do have uh, two more questions for you. So the yep. first one is actually a question from Spirit Super, uh, sponsor of this episode. And the funny thing is uh, we'd raised the topic of doing these episodes last year and, uh, you know, it's taken a little while to come to fruition but they had this question for you uh, back, you know, when you were uh, freshly announced as a winner. So um, it'd be interesting to see your response, you know, down the track. But mm. uh, basically the question that they've asked is, uh, Connor, what drives you to want to protect and help your community so actively? And, you know, we have covered it a little bit in mm. what we've been talking about, but I think the protect part is something we probably haven't talked about as much. So, yeah, so what is it that, that's driving you to um, to protect the community. Yeah, I think 
I think when I hear that question, I hear about what's my why, what's my reason for doing this work. And I think, well, I know that it's my mum and my brother. I think they're the two people that are my, they're my why, that they're why I do this work because particularly my mum has sacrificed so much for me and modelled to me what a healthy relationship should look like and that everyone, no matter who who the person is, has the right to feel safe and free. And I think they're my reason why I do this work. When I when I come home and I'm like, before I said, oh, why do I do this work? And I think of my mum and brother and they're part of why I do this work. That's awesome. Well, you're so good at answering questions that you kind of already nailed the next question I was going to ask you, which is about, you know, because I've been inspired by you and that's um, absolute honest um, reaction Thanks, to Josh. our conversation. And uh, at 20 years old, you know, from what you've achieved, a lot of people need a whole lifetime to do it. Um, and, you know, an author at 20, that's really cool. <laughs> so. You know, I've been inspired by you. And, you know, obviously you've just mentioned that your mum and, and uh, family inspire you as well. Mm. But from a, a bigger picture, you know, motivations-wise, what is it that inspires you? And we're not talking about labels now. We're not talking about as a survivor. Um, just in life, like what's your philosophy, I suppose, in the going about your day-to-day life? Oh, that's a big question. That is a, I'm not ready to answer that question. Um what inspires me? I think children and young people inspire me. Um, I think I've doing this work, I've come across, like yesterday I went to the No to Violence Conference, which is a massive national conference that brings together sector representatives and advocates. And I was on a panel with four or five other young people and they inspired me. They, just the way that, they, I think children and young people in this generation just wear that we wear our heart on our sleeves and we're just honest and we're not afraid and we're courageous. Like we were on a panel with the the national commissioner for family and domestic violence and all of these CEO with all these CEOs in in the room and everyone, all of those young people that I was with just said it as it as it was and was they were so raw and so honest and i think that's that's why i do the work that i do and that that's my philosophy children working alongside other other advocates and and collaborating with them yeah that's awesome one you know i really dislike stereotypes around young people uh, because mm-hmm. a lot of them are negative and that really annoys me but one stereotype that I want people to push. One thing that I've seen uh, around being at events, talking to people um, of of your age, you know, kind of mid-20s and under, is that I feel like there's a lot less, um, it's not quite tall poppy syndrome, but it's a, there's a lot less like, well, if I didn't win, <clears throat> then I'm disappointed yep. by that. There's so yep. much more supporting peers. I've yep. noticed that at the events when after an award is announced, the other finalists who weren't announced as the winner, they're just, like, stoked to see the people who did win and and they celebrate them, they congratulate them. That that happened to me when I got my award. All of the other nominees, like, came up to me afterwards and were getting photos with me and that's just normal, I think, in our generation. And 
on stage yesterday with the other panellists, there were no egos. Like, we were all just there as people with experiences, understanding that all of our experiences are different. Not one person is better than the other. Um, And it's so special to be part of that. I think you're right, Josh. So, yeah, that's one of the trends that I've seen. I want that to be the stereotype that people want to talk about with young people. So, you know, and you've obviously uh, reaffirmed that mm. today. So so thank you for your time, Connor. I really appreciate it. Just to remind everyone, head to connorpaul.com. That's C-O-N-O-R-P-A-L-L.com. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Sign up for that book and uh, follow what Connor's doing because um, it's, uh, it's great stuff. Perfect. Thanks so much, Josh. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Spirit Super, the super fund for hard-working Australians. Let's be honest, most of us don't pay enough attention to our super. It's either too hard, too confusing, or we simply don't know what super is. But that's okay. Spirit Super makes learning about and looking after your super super easy. With a focus on strong returns, an award-winning service, and super experts offering practical and helpful advice, Spirit Super is here for you and your super. For more info, go to spiritsuper.com.au. Consider the PDS and TMD at spiritsuper.com.au slash PDS before making a decision. Insurer is Motor Trade Association of Australia Superannuation Fund PDY LTD. Advice is provided by Quadrant First PDY LTD. Past performance isn't a reliable indicator of future performance. The Inspirational Australians podcast is brought to you by Awards Australia. We recognise, celebrate and share the stories of inspirational Australians through our awards programs across the country. To find out more, to nominate an inspirational Australian in your life or to partner with our awards, visit awardsaustralia.com. If you enjoyed today's story, we'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and review to make sure you don't miss an episode and to help our guests reach more people with their inspirational stories.